It's all fun and games until you have Vulcan Jesus in your brain. It's future, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Move over, Al. There's a new hologram in town. I'm your co-host, Peter. Uh, one quick note before we start, Peter. We haven't said it in a bit. We have a lot of lovely theme music that we've had through the years. Very excited we got to pull out the old... Uh... The, the Voyager one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't uh, been on our Patreon, get on it. There's a couple episodes there exclusive to our Patreon right now. One is a review of kind of a cult classic film both you and I love, and we just randomly decided to review for Halloween and uh, Event Horizon. And then we also did a review of mostly of the two Vix episode of Lower Decks, but then kind of reviewed the whole season. And we got to use our old Voyager theme song for that. So we got to use the inner light, which we use for our Patreon episodes. We got to use the Voyager theme. You just heard the Enterprise theme. And all of those are produced by Ian and Sarah. So thank you to them. You know, we just always like to make sure we shout them out every once in a while. And um, with that in mind, Peter, what episode of Enterprise did we watch this week? We got into <clears throat> season four, episode eight, Awakening. This guy first aired on the 26th of November, 2004, written by Andre Baramis, who I believe is a co-producer at this point. I believe so. Directed by old Roxanne Dawson, your place to find all things sweaty and uh, sensual. This is going to be... And come related. <laughs> yes. As we, as we are all... <laughs> this is going to be Roxanne Dawson's final directorial involvement in Star Trek, I believe. Yeah. Um, good note to land on, I think. Overall, this is the middle part of a three-part story. This does have a bit of middle child syndrome in that it doesn't have a real beginning and it doesn't have a real end, uh, but tells a lot of story in it. And, you know, I think that if it had, I really like this episode. I really like all of season four. I mean, we've basically said that a lot already um, as we've reviewed this, but if this one has a weakness, it is that the, it gives you more plot, right? Like it's, you thought you were getting all the plot, like that you were going to get in the first episode. And then in this one, they're like, what if it's also the Andorians, right? Like what if, <laughs> what if all of this crazy Vulcan shit is not enough? And we've got it. We've got to. We've got to bring it all in, right? I really like that, though. Okay. Um, that escalation. Well, I mean, we'll get to it at the end. At the beginning, though, I want to give a shout out to the recap. Yeah. Which very normally very, very tight, you know, tight, and you know, maybe it's the story itself that there's not like a. That little throwaway scene that's going to come back and be like, oh, turns out this is the fucking linchpin to the whole thing. And wow, that, you know, you, they always spoil when there's one of those. They focus in on you like, well, OK, obviously that happened wobbly, a lot in season three, right? Yeah, Where that, it would just flash wobbly, back to the things that are going to be really important. OK, that wobbly table leg, that's going to turn out to be the villain, right? Right. Uh, it, it was a, it was a good tight recap that did a nice job of broadly reminding you of everything that's going on without overly focusing and ruining any of the story. The, the Battlestar Galactica 
school of ruining the fucking episode with ridiculous recaps or not even re- recaps just like showing you scenes from the episode <laughs> to the point where you you literally you had to look away you would be did. like all right it's time not to look at the screen i did i would cover my eyes and i would cover my ears like a child in a scary movie and then my wife would push me when it was ready to go the only thing i could explain with for that in battlestar galactica is cocaine Nothing else makes sense. (laughs) Well, we start with something that does make sense. And then Saval getting chewed out by his bosses. Because when we last left Saval, he decided that it would be a great idea to mind meld with a brain damaged human and then brag about it. Which, you know, was like telling your boss, "I, I fucked a dog and I liked it. Okay, in this, in this. Oh, hello, manager. Did you know that today I took all the money out of the cash register and put it in my backpack? Oh, I have to go see HR. Well, guess what? That's what I wanted this entire time. I love it when a plan comes together. The intro, you know, these shots of what Vulcan looks like. Um, again, very like. 90s Westwood CGI. Yeah, it feels like I'm about to play Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It, it feels like because um, it's so red. It's it, it's funny how all of this stuff just hangs out in LucasArts territory, but this feels like some dark forces. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yes, it there's does. a real dark forces to the the they're not matte paintings they are clearly CG. That's fine. That's great. That's dandy. But when you go inside Vulcan High Command, if you thought the soccer arena where they gave John Archer his uh, "You Save the World" award Bay, at Bay Stadium, the the Vulcan High Command, I would put their uh, their headquarters on an opulence level equal to a failing mall food court. And the worst part of it in my share of those. Okay. All it's missing is a Sabraro, right? Right. Sabaro. And then there's this, and I'm air quoting here, a window overlooking the skyline. I thought at first it was bad CGI. I think it's just a low resolution printout of the skyline. It is so fucking terrible. I'm surprised they let the cameras anywhere near this thing. They definitely save their money for other effects later on in the episode. And Uh, ultimately, they don't need to really put a lot into the set because the acting and the plot is there to keep your attention on it. Even like Roxanne made a right choice and like doing a lot of close ups, right? There's a lot of close talking, a lot of close ups in this episode, because if you're like, okay, don't have a lot of money for sets, don't have a lot of money to do anything fancy. So let's uh, crowd all of that out of the of the shot and put our actors you know, in, in frame and let them work their craft. Right. Like let's go with the, let's go with what we've got. And it, and it works. And in this teaser scene, when Saval is up there trying to get a read on the rest of the Vulcan high command and talk about what happened, um, you know, these are all Vulcans, right? They're all dialed in, you know, they're all kind of tight lipped. They're all restrained. And so it's interesting to kind of read the emotion in the room. Veloss, who we know is like president of Vulcan, 
is definitely taking Saval down, right? Like he's I love his voice, by the way. Yeah, the actor is really good at playing this character. Robert Foxworth. He, he was played also an admiral in uh, DS9. He was Admiral Layton, and he was great in that role, too. And his voice really carried that role as well. What's happening in this intro is them setting in stone. Uh, Vulcans are kind of evil. And shit's real fucked up. Maybe I've given them a pass because Archer was so deep in the weeds being petulant, like me, I hate Vulcans. You hurt my dad's feelings or, you know, whatever the thrust of his argument was that kind of drowns out what the truth of the matter might be. Uh, But this all makes it crystal clear that there are very bad actors in power at the highest seats of Vulcan civilization. And uh, Suval's play here to get in front of the council. And I think his hope was like, maybe there's a couple people that aren't corrupt as fuck that I might be able to communicate this to. It's a, it's a solid play, right? I'm going to expose my mind meld. I'm going to get an audience with the highest court possible. I will try to plead my case and he gets in there and uh Velas just exactly what you said it's a kangaroo court he barely gets a chance to talk suval's a smart guy he sees the writing on the wall immediately i love the play that Velas makes where he's like you know we're sticking to the story the seer what's it, seer knights seer knights are the bad guys they planted the bomb no it was uh stell the chief of security You're right, it was Stell. Hey, turns out he's a Cyrenite. (laughs) Our our conspiracy holds true. Stell, by the way, uh, would we call him Detective Guilty? Detective Guilty, yes. This dude's name, the actor's name was Lark Spies. Damn. What a bad guy, character actor, if I ever heard one. Uh, Yeah, we already, we, we arrested him. And I wonder... If that's just a, hey, listen, man, we're going to shoot you off and you're going to go chill out over here for a while. Or if Veloss is dirty enough where he's like, sorry, bro, you got to die for the cause. Yeah, it's just very. I If I, I got, I'm going to count that as a bit of a criticism as well. I like that they did that, that they threw that guy under the bus immediately. But when we had the scene on Enterprise and he fingered him, there was a lot of just how dare you. This is inadmissible. This is nonsense. You, you will, you, they'll be hell to pay because you've committed this terrible taboo in our society by doing a mind meld to begin with. And then here we are, cut to this scene, and it's like, yeah, okay, so you were totally right, and we've arrested him, and he was totally a Cyrenite, so we're still okay. Yeah, but no I discussion mean, of like, just like we just bus rolled this guy off camera, and we've decided this is where the plot is now. That's a little sloppy. I agree with it though you know you and i have played games where there's just nasty cutthroat politics again vlas is not a stupid guy yeah he sees there's loose ends he sees that suval might be able to make a case on this and like that's the most machiavellian thing there is okay uh our dude got pinched and we're just going to stab him in the back and and reinforce our case even more 
Great. I, I just wanted to see that. I like the move. I just didn't get to see it. They just were like, yeah, by the way, that happened. I'm like, whoa, wow. Really? That's how they, that's how they clean that up. <laughs> got Listen, it. Forgot that. <laughs> they're on a budget. You think they just got that Lark spies money laying around? No, you can only hire Detective Guilty for one episode. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, and it's TV and you, you got to. I was surprised that Vlas didn't have Suval in handcuffs by the end of this. But by the end of the scene, we start to establish that there is at least one pair of sympathetic pointy ears still on that council. And I don't think this dude ever gets a name, but Roxanne Dawson does a great job of having this guy visible through all of Loss's tyranny, just kind of hanging over his shoulder, kind of like not okay with what's happening in that high chamber. Yeah. His name is Kuvak. Um, and he is Great the grandfather of Tuvok. <laughs> and uh, Tuvok's much cooler grandfather. He, uh, he definitely serves that role of the voice of reason. Uh, that you want in those scenes as Velas does increasingly more unhinged and evil stuff. And like you said, he gets framed up very nicely um, as that role and, and is used very effectively in that. But Saval gets fired as ambassador immediately. Um, I like the term to, melder. Yeah, but like the pejorative nature of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, when after they're done kind of cashiering him, they also say, like, you you, you still have to be silent and that there's a, apparently whatever the penalty is for violating that, it's extremely stiff. Um, and Saval concludes with saying, like, there's much to say, uh, Your Excellency, but no, no one is listening. Uh, and nice, perfect line to leave that scene on and cut to credits and, and begin with the rest of the plot. course where we wanted to pick up was on Archer and Paul wandering into the Siren camp and getting swarmed. We didn't really talk about it last episode. So was that a holographic wall or was that like magic? What? Well, I mean, it's revealed in this episode that it was holographic, right? Because we see it get busted. So the forge is a place where technology doesn't work except for a massive holographic field. My assumption is that this is ancient technology because everything in this area is ancient. I mean, we're going to find out a lot about the forge and what it is and why it is the way it is as the episode goes on. Uh, but they don't explain it, right? There's a holographic field there. Why? Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Like there is one. It is a refuge. They hide there. This because is technology. If there's one thing that, that is always in Scott Bakula's presence. It's holograms. That's true. It's true. And uh, we see that uh, Tapau, who we saw a photo of before as the leader of the Sirenites is present. Tapau is a very interesting name to choose for this because it was not accidental. Uh, as you watch any original series, Trek? I know her from, I think she, no, I'm thinking of a Romulan. I read Tapau. about Tapau when I was looking up to Paul because 
there was another uh, there was a Romulan card in the Decipher CCG that also had a very similar name, and I ended up reading about all three of them. And Tapau is a is shows up in the original series in Amok Time in that episode when Spock has the uh, Pon Far, you know, mm-hmm. they introduce all of that, and he goes to have his wedding, and this is the old Vulcan who's like overseeing the Calafi is Tapau is the same character. And so this is her. She's not quite as attractive as she is here. Yes. Perhaps a bit more mileage on her by then, (laughs) but uh, she's very young here. And it's, I, I like this idea though of let's try to bridge the gap because Vulcans are super long lived. Right. So if we have a a young Vulcan, this Vulcan can be an old Vulcan. We introduced in the original series. Like, okay, perfect. Sure. Are, and and I, she she is portrayed as being a super big deal in the original series, so that also works. So here's what I can tell you about the Cyrenites. They don't like two things, and that would namely be showers and brushes. And this serves as a very stark contrast to... What do we want to call mainstream Vulcans at this point? They are... Very technocratic. technocratic. They are, they are very. But I mean, would you call them the, the, the non-believers? The the no, not non-believers. They're more uh, secular. Uh, they're they're more non-theistic. Like they obviously believe in logic, and they give lip service to the teachings of Sirach in abstract but they're not orthodox, right? I think actually Judaism is the religion that probably has the best way to describe it. If the Cyrenites are are, uh, orthodox, uh, then normal Vulcans are reformed, (laughs) you know, like in this era. We commented early, Broken Bow, I believe, the wardrobe of the secular Vulcans uh, seemed very Japanese inspired kimono-y yeah. um I, I, there 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 was some heavy cultural crimping there i think uh with this imperialist yeah complete with lanyards <laughs> <laughs> can't forget him the lanyards i've i thought about what was the action grandpa episode called first flight First flight for as much of a piece of shit as that episode was the mileage I got out of first flight over the past two episodes in terms of um, trips, conversations with uh, Suval were huge because they've got nasty history back in first flight, you know, Mm -hmm. and this one. uh, Things change quite a bit, but. Uh, the secular Vulcans, very clean, um, very proud, uh, maybe superficial to a certain extent in terms of uh, ornamentation and uh, appearance versus uh, these guys that are just like dirty hippies. They're filthy. They're spiritual. Uh, they're, they're, you know, dirt people. They're identifiably they are, Vulcan. It's not like they're like emotional, right? They are still very dot, you know, the gain is way down, but there's a bit more freedom in expression, right? There's a bit more balance 
And I think that that distinction was perfectly executed. And it goes not just to the way that they portray themselves, but like you said, their dress. And when T'Pau uh, says, like, yeah, I'm the person you're looking for, Archer's like, oh, I want to bring you to justice. And she's like, that's stupid. I haven't left this desert desert in two years. It definitely didn't blow up your damn embassy. And of course, who should also enter the chat? Uh, but T'Pau's mother, who's who we knew is present uh, from, I guess it was Koss telling her, uh, but Talas kind of, hi, how you guys doing? Yeah, they they got here because we I gave my daughter a hint as to how to find us. By hint, and, I mean a uh, holographic map. And uh, yeah, they relate also that they met Arev, the other Vulcan during the journey, and that he had died uh, in the process. Arev being a big deal because we're going to quickly reveal that uh, he, in fact, was carrying uh, the Katra, which is the spirit for all intents and purposes of uh, Sirach. Correct. So I know there's some other things that happen on Enterprise. Let's let's talk about this first, though, because it's very interesting. Well, before we go deeper on this, I, I, I'm, I'm holding these two different camps of Vulcans, right? Which is essentially the 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 Sirach empowered the, good Vulcans versus the evil, the Orthodox Vulcans versus the Reformed Vulcans. Um, in terms of portrayal on screen and behavior. Which do you think we see more of in later Star Trek in terms of attitude? Because it really it feels like they started filming this, which is, again, the last of the um, Berman properties. And they said, let's look at the way that Tuvok had been played. And we're going to use that because Tuvok is a good Vulcan, right? Yeah. Tuvok's a complete character. Tuvok's a boring character, but if you're going to bring people in uh, to play bit parts as Vulcans and you're going to say, sit down, watch these episodes, this is how it is to act. I have to think that Tim Russ's portrayal of Tuvok is there. Sure. Right. And I think that was there. Yeah. I mean, famously so. Right. So, like, I think that that's probably how they initially established these uh, Vulcan high command guys that were involved with Starfleet. And it's hard looking back to say, okay. That's the old Vulcan mindset. And then these Surak guys are going to come in and change the cultural landscape and kind of reform all of uh, Vulcan. But I don't really see these uh, these uh, Syrian guys reflected in the way that like Tuvok or anything out of Next Gen really felt. I think you definitely see it in Next Gen, not so much because there just wasn't much Vulcan content. Yeah, it was like Susie Plaxon. Yeah. But for Tuvok, he's very intensely spiritual. He mind melds all the time. He's meditating all the time. He's, he, you know, we have a whole episode about his backstory of how he was able to tame his emotions through basically a, a Vulcan Jedi sensei. Who yeah, they prayed the emotion away. Who, who helps him rein it in. What's that um, called? The Korra? Col- uh, the Colinar, Colinar, yeah, yeah, but he's extremely strict because he's a tactical officer. He's a mil- he's more militarized Vulcan, 
So I think that's more what you see in his personality and that, you know, he's not a scientist. He's not somebody with a lot of soft skills. He's somebody with a lot of practical skills. So I think it still fits, but there is a sense of retroactive continuity here, right? Like you are trying to make it work in retrospect. And I think they do a good job though, of with the visuals we're talking about and the spiritual versus non-spiritual and, and showing like that, that is something that re-entered Vulcan society more recently. And as a consequence of humans, mm-hmm. uh, than something that they had naturally were had access to. So, um, but yeah, the, the thing that becomes very important is that Archer has the spirit of Surak, who is Vulcan Jesus in his mind. The we for Al move over Johnny Silverhand. <laughs> we got Surak in the house. We got Johnny Surak hand. I really love this part of the story. It's Surak. First, I love how Surak's portrayed, right? You want to talk about somebody who's very in touch with emotion in a way that we're not used to Vulcans in a subtle fashion, right? Everything he says is very like reflective and it's very emotionally aware, but still tight. I'm guessing this guy sat down and prepped for this character by watching uh, Mr. Rogers. That's the vibe I got off of him. A little bit, yeah. M- more mournful, maybe. But I see what you're saying. But it works. I like that he says, like, I, who, you know, Archer says, who are you? And he says, you know who I am. Say not, my name. <laughs> I'm not going to bother engaging with a question that you already know the answer to. And I love that the first vision that he has of him you see from his perspective, the final like battles between the Vulcans who eventually become the Romulans under the Raptors wings. Yeah. I and, like that. and the Vulcans who, you know, were trying to embrace logic and that it's resorting to nuclear weapons. And that's why they're in this blasted desert hellscape where technology doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, okay, the backstory here is what's making a lot of sense now. The interesting thing about Surak is that he is not a memory. This isn't Archer reliving moments as a third party witness. Surak is alive and conscious in his head. They're having uh, discussions that are based on changing situations outside of Archer's head and uh, you know, Archer doesn't have truly Al from Quantum Leap standing there walking through walls and stuff, but under traumatic circumstances, which Archer is rewarded with several times in this episode. I mean, how lucky for him. What a what a great reward for all the great work he's been doing to have a Vulcan hottie inflict that kind of uh, head trauma with this botch ritual coming down. He is, the he is experiencing new levels of head trauma, like psychic head trauma now, right? Like mm-hmm. he truly, his te- his brain is so scarred that this is the only way he can feel anything. It's good. <laughs> it's good. He's had the opportunity, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I do. I do love just the, where we're at with Archer's story at this point. Let, let me, let's take stock, right? Like of, of what this plot's saying, we've got Archer who hates Vulcans. He like likes two Vulcans ever. One of them just recently. And now he's got the most important Vulcan ever to have ex- existed soul 
in his body. And he knows this and he believes it, right? Right. You've got Trent. That most important soul for whom the entire spirit of Vulcan rests wants to be there. Yes. Chooses to remain with Archer. That he has to be the one that helps save the Vulcan society from itself. Which, like, holy shit, right? Like, what a what a choice. What a what a what a move. You got Trip, who's presently in charge of Enterprise, who is like balls deep in getting into a shooting war with Vulcans over a conspiracy to blow up Earth's embassy. Right? Like Vulcans were the ones that allowed Earth to like recover from their own nuclear holocaust and their own self-destruction and forge a new path into the stars. And here's Commander Trip Tucker, who's like, yeah, let's start shooting at these Vulcan ships uh, because we're going to fuck around with their politics (laughs) because our captain's down there trying to find out what the conspiracy is that's leading to uh, this bombing that cost us our boss's life. He's got Saval standing there over his shoulder saying, do it. it. Yeah. You're (laughs) you're in the right. Yeah. Um, Maybe they'll get into it next episode. But the fact that Trip, who is usually pretty good at being uh, a critical or a critic and good at being a pessimist, second, maybe to read who is also there watching all this happen. Like you've just found out that High Command has blown up the Earth Embassy, killed your boss, who your bo- I'm sorry, your boss's boss that he sometimes talked to. In Tripp's case, a personal friend, uh, Admiral Forrest. The fact that at no point they're like not putting two and two together and being like, this is why these guys didn't fucking help us out with the Zindi threat. Like, they they are bad guys. They want to. Blowing up our embassy was nothing. They were banking on us all just being fucking killed. Like, this is huge. This is a big deal. They blew up our embassy to justify a domestic crackdown. They don't care what it happened, right? Like, it was just a means to an end. And yeah, but listen, man, if I was in there, I'd be like, they want us dead. They, oh, they don't care. That's just, that's even worse, right? Like, you're disposable. You're, 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 it, and, and this happened right after earth saved Vulcan as a consequence of stopping the Zindi uh, crisis. So, so trips in the middle of this, I mean, this is the same show where the, you know, we Archer didn't want to apologize for his dog peeing on shit, right? Like I know it's probably a a low blow to keep bringing up a night in sick bay, but Man, if only they had learned after the first season that they needed to bring in this young blood and that they had good ideas. Well, what's interesting, too, there's a lot in this episode that should kind of feel Mary Sue-ish. Like, oh, you know, here's Archer, the great white knight and the, you know, Falcons can only trust this human, the hero. Uh, I, I don't get that feeling. And I don't know if it's writing. I don't know if it's Bacula's portrayal. Um, he's not reluctant to do this stuff. Like he meets the challenges that the Vulcan plot line, uh, sets in front of him, like head on. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like he's saving the day and it doesn't feel like he's pulling 
magic out of his ass. It's just like there's a situation that I can't change. And the only way uh, to resolve it is going through it. And I'll roll with the punches. And I guess part of that is that Archer at this point has seen so much zany shit that like his mind's eye is pretty elastic at this point. Yeah, he he definitely accepts the idea of Saval being in his or rather of Surak being in his head pretty readily, right? He's just and why would you? You've dealt with space ghosts already. And uh after all the bullshit with the stupid temporal cold war, I I love the call out in this scene, you know, uh to Paul's the doubting Thomas in this and like, oh come on, you don't believe that the the most important Vulcan in the world is living as a spirit in your head. You know, here's case studies where we actually tried to mind meld with like Jedi holocrons with, uh, Katra and and Archer's just like, yeah. And listen, the Vulcan sign, you know, throwing that interface with the Vulcan science Academy, uh, doesn't believe in time travel either, which we, we definitely did it though. You and me both. We both went to fucking Detroit. We were there. We dealt with some disgusting man who really liked hamburgers. Like, it's almost getting Janeway levels of, like, this is just another fucking kooky Thursday, man. Like, just (laughs) roll with the punches. You fight the punches, you get them below the shoulders. That's not sexy. You roll with them, you take a couple good uh, head wounds, blow your load, and, you know, before you know it, you're into Friday and there's the weekend. As mentioned, Trip and Saval are doing their their scheming on enterprise trying to find a way to to deal with this present situation their plot doesn't kick off till later really um the action remains on the surface i like that the vulcan hippie commune temple has a jail (laughs) it does has a handy little jail cell where you sit where as you mentioned um uh to paul tries to convince archer that he's doesn't have a vulcan soul in his body uh, but to Pow is convinced once he tells her like what he's experienced and she does a mind meld. It doesn't take her but a few seconds to be like, yeah, he's totally he's totally got him in there. That's true. Tapao hates humans, by the way. That's very clear, very disdainful of humans and their emotions. Uh, mostly she seems disdainful of them because they're allied with the government that she doesn't feel is legitimate. Uh, but there's Add almost a sort in. of there's almost some sort of a lesson that she has to learn through Archer's actions that I think Sirak is basically passive aggressively making her learn. Yeah. And also, you know, this reminds me of uh Shadows of Pajem. Uh and that's when uh Suval or no, it was that captain like leads like the Black Ops strike team in because there was that colony that the puppet government had a relationship with Vulcan high command, but it was against the will of the rest of the native population. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's the Andorians ended up having a bill archer out. Lots of good. Uh, the Vulcan government is shady. Um, plot lines coming into clear vo- focus with this one. Like when even Vulcan's own population is disdainful of, high command and Starfleet because of its relationship to high command. Um, to Paul's mom. I don't, I don't, 
she's so emotional. And I think the actress is really focused on I'm a mom over I'm a Vulcan. I agree. Yeah. It's a problem. Like she's a great mom. She she would be a great like like the mom from Drop Dead Fred, where it's just like emotionally abusive and twist like borderline twisted upbringing. That's great for a human mom. For a Vulcan mom, it's uh it's missing a couple marks. I feel like it's just missing a little bit. Like in the end, you hear from Tales about her motivations and that she's doing what she's doing for T'Pol. I feel like, inst- you know, like it needed to be like a family burden of like, I know how much I've struggled with my emotions. I've seen in your yes. eyes how much you've struggled with your emotions. So I didn't just do this for me. I did it for you too. So that I could find a way for both of us. I feel like that was the only thing that was missing because that, that would have been a that cool, would have retro that would have explained why she is the way she is. That would have been a cool if they had more time to really explore this stuff. If there would have been a fissure in the entirety of Vulcan society where logic itself is not enough to sustain the Vulcan psyche, there needs to be the spiritual component and that they had been running on pure logic without that spirituality. And that it was causing emotional fracturing or, or right. something often that you were seeing like a moral decay or a so, some sort of a visible, like society is falling apart. There is a, a leg to this society that is missing. And it is this religious, uh, and it's, it's this- and that, that, that makes a lot of sense with what we've already learned because we, we found out that Vulcan society was more aligned with what the Syrianites would approve of until such time that the technocrats and the, and the reform Vulcans started to have more purchase over society because high command ran space travel. And then that became more important in their society. And they used their authority over that to usurp more authority uh, over all of Vulcan. And that's how the sort of religious element of their belief structure started to fall away and it was replaced by a more practical worldview. And yeah, like you said, like I feel like Sirach's basically saying that part's super important because it's a channel for your emotional needs. Cause we still have emotions and we still have emotional needs. The idea is Sirach says, okay, you can't go buck wild with them anymore. You have to rein it in. You have to restrain it. You have to have discipline. You have to have these, these, this, uh, this rote teaching that you can apply to doing that, but you still are a person that has this sort of spiritual element to you. And we have these powers, these psychic powers, essentially low level psychic powers on top of our amazing strength that allow us to sort of commune with each other on a mental level. And we have to, we have to fold that in. And to nurture that part of you, or you're going to become unhinged, unfocused, because just the just logic is not enough, like you're saying. And I, I that's all there, and I don't We're think corrupt. they ever they didn't ever put it together that way. Yeah, I think whether it's the entire the entire civilization in a in a sick spot where you're having uh, emotional breakdown. Or 
which her mom was suffering or yeah, like there is a, just a, a genetic predisposition to emotional distress and her mom suffering it as well. And that, that would have been a strong bonding point. Like, you know, I, I never exposed it to you. There's a, it feels a little retconny having her turning out to be a secret cultist, but it works, whatever. So on enterprise trip and Saval hatch a plan. We're going to hack a satellite, shut it down for six minutes using Saval's like super secret tech codes. It's desert crossing all over again. <laughs> And then they're going to fly a, a modified shuttle that's going to be able to function inside the the forge despite its anti-tech aura by doing manual piloting with with Travis behind the wheel. This is the guy that's never spent any real time in atmosphere and wind and flying stuff. I don't know if the boomer is the right guy to have on a stick and rudder aircraft. And... Trip is a bit surprised that Saval is like, okay, like I never got the impression over all of these years. You so much really cared for earth or humans. So what gives, why are you caring so much now? What is this? And Saval explains like, I spent 30 years on your planet. I have an affinity for humans. And Trip says you hide it really well. And he just like suddenly stiffens and he goes, thank you. Very deep <laughs> compliment. I love yeah, it. Like, okay. I appreciate that. Like, is it retconning? Is it is this a, a character arc that they had, you know, scripted out for Suval the entire time? I don't know. It works. Gary Graham pulls it off great. I love uh Suval and Trip as a as a dynamic duo. I like the big reveal that Suval is super into humans. You can look back on stuff and be like, man, like did he really like Archer? Was he really willing to like make a peace and roads with the Andorians with humans help, blah, blah, blah. Like on one hand, him always being real sour to the experience makes great sense for a guy who is a seasoned spy and knows that he has a lot of secrets. He needs to hide from being a melder to being a human sympathetic sympathizer, knowing that your boss is a uh, scummy and you've got these, these uh, traits you need to hide so, of course, you're just going to go hard the other way and just be the bad guy. I don't know. It works. I love it. Uh, they shoot the pod out. Um, and the, the big plan here is that Vulcan High Command, they know from aerial reconnaissance that the Seer Knights are in this uh, campment. They can't precision strike them. They don't want to send in ground troops. So Suval's just like, fuck it, nuke it from orbit. You mean Velas, not Saval. Saval's the good guy. Sorry, Velas. Nuke it from orbit. Photon torpedo the entire fucking area. We're going to spray and pray. We're going to be done with this shit. Again, there's uh, Doubting Thomas on the council who's like, uh, this seems real bad. Oh, no, yeah, no. Dude, boss, boss, boss. Do you sure you want to drone strike the wedding? <laughs> like, just because <laughs> the terrorist is there, right? It's a great, you know, the way that they're running the Ciroc throwbacks, like, you're seeing it happen again. It, it's Vulcans yeah. bombing other Vulcans. Uh, but Vlast can't do this while Enterprise is observing. So he starts pulling strings at Starfleet's like, get them out of there. Some other new admiral tells Trip, hey, get out. And Trip's pushing back and saying, no, this is the only rickety part of the episode for me is that Vlast would be so sloppy as to 
feel like he absolutely has to strike that place right now and that he's going to do it the exact moment that Enterprise flies out. I mean, you have to create some sort of tension and ticking clock, right? Yeah, but these guys are so patient and rational and like well-metered on everything else that like him having this flimsy. It's a drop in the bucket of some of the bigger ramrod crimes we've seen, but it's there. They block the satellite. They drop the ship down. They're going to go find the captain. They're going to go find uh, to Paul. Soon as that shuttlecraft gets in the atmosphere, um, Vulcan fighter jets start tagging it with phasers. And basically the jig is up. They get found out and then they wind up in a very well CG animated firefight with three Vulcan ships. Uh, A lot of, I guess, the effects money for this trilogy went into these shots. Uh, Looks good. Uh, but obviously the NX-01 has got zero shot against three Vulcans. They just say that straight up, like no way, cannot win. And ultimately, Saval tells Trip, we have to retreat. We have no choice. Just dying here does us no good. And they leave. Um, back on the surface, T'Pau, it wants the Katra out of Archer's head now that he's she's convinced that it's there. And is will has a, a ritual that she's studied in order to take it, but it could imperil uh, Archer's life to do so. But she has decided I'm taking it. I want Archer to submit to it, but I'll take it by force if I have to, because can't let the dirty human have Vulcan Jesus. And Teles is against this because she sees like, oh God, my daughter is not going to be okay with you doing that to her boss. That's just not. I know her. She's not going to like that. We can't do this. But over her objections to says we're doing it, goes in, says essentially that to Archer. To Paul is aghast at what could potentially be Archer's death from doing this. But Archer actually says, I'm down. Don't want it in my head. Let's give this a try. The surprise in this episode for me is that to Paul's mom does not end up becoming the new leader of the Knights. I really thought they were grooming her to be the true voice that would lead the Vulcans forward because uh, to Pow, right? Yeah. To Pow. Mm-hmm. To Pow. Everything in this episode paints her as like, you know, the unfit underling who assumes command. She's too rigid. Um, the empathy's not there. I, I thought that DePaul's mom was going to be like the more reasonable voice that would come out on top by then, maybe even get the Katra in her head next. It's not the way it shakes out, though. Yeah, DePaul, DePaul botches the ritual. Uh, she doesn't botch the ritual. Um, Sirach just doesn't want out. Sirach's got a plan. He fights to stay in Archer's head. Um, you know, it fucks Archer up pretty good. He gets a couple more conversations with Sirach. He gets to kind of see how Sirach dies, which is radiation poisoning uh, because I, of the nuclear war. I mean, it is, it is kind of interesting to really understand that Vulcans are a post-apocalyptic society, right? Like that, that that's what they yeah, are. Speaking I mean, of Earth is t- yeah. Earth is too, but like the Vulcans are legitimately from a terrible post-apocalyptic society where barely anything was left and they had to rebuild themselves. And that means that Vulcan Jesus just died of radiation poisoning 
because of all the these nukes. are Vulcans that had already reached space travel too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for the Romulans to to leave and go become their own thing, they had to be very advanced. Um, as Archer comes out of that last visit with uh, Sirak, he has a new quest objective. He's got a new mission, and that is to find the doodad that will unite Vulcan. And uh, they know that they're about to start getting bombed by high command um, photon torpedoes and the order is given to evacuate the compound. But Archer's like, no, we got to go down this doorway over here that for some reason, nobody's ever walked down. (laughs) (laughs) Cleverly people in this place. The Vulcans, they're not a curious race. They have space travel, but they don't explore. They have a desert compound, but no one has ever bothered to go down that one door inside the prison area. Listen, they might have the space elf ears, but they don't have the plus two to detecting secret doors. Okay. It's not a secret door. It's just a fucking door. It is just a door. Maybe that's why they weren't able to detect it. Just failed the spot roll every time they rolled by. They just never saw it. This is the jail, right? Well, here's a door that we're going to put people in. What's that door over there? I don't know. Nobody would ever go down that door. How had been searching it for two years. Like, obviously not very well. Yeah. (laughs) It's five minutes down the way over there. They don't really explain what the cure Shara is in this episode. They did mention it in the prior episode, which is this is a mythical artifact that has the original teachings of Surak in it, which we know from the prior episode is something that was lost and that there's been all this reinterpretation, right? Like T'Pol gives the, the backstory very early on. Jedi holocrons. Yes, we know. <laughs> and so this, this is the Jedi holocron that has like the actual like writings of Vulcan Jesus direct from the source. I love in this episode, the amount of callback that Pajem gets. Yeah. Uh, in reinforcing that Pajem was a big fucking deal that Sirach had uh, materials there, I believe. They found all of those Katras there. I mm-hmm. believe that they mentioned uh, they mentioned it in the first episode about how it had been defiled, right? That that was a Vulcan spiritual place with monks who treated all of that very seriously. And then this this technocratic government turned it into a fucking spy, uh, you know, a, a spy base. Caused a big rift with the native population of Vulcan and also created extra layers of antagonism in the relationship with Andoria. Right. Like it's a, that's a double L. There. It's like turn. It's like turning the Vatican into you know a CIA black ops. You know, Quant- place. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's, it's like new, what uh, is this waterboarding facility? Yeah. Um. They start getting bombed. Archer gets the team down there. Uh, it's to Pow, to Paul Archer, to Paul's mom as part of the evacuation crew. Uh, you know, they're walking down. There's Vulcan mummies standing up. Apparently Vulcan hair lasts forever. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't go away. No. Uh, Archer is clearly there's more brain bleed between him and Sirach where he's able like, Oh, it's uh Larry. He used to make really great cookies on Vulcan Christmas. Uh, how would you know that captain? That's not on the sign where eh. gets down. That's- they find a big vault door. He knows which uh, markers, 
what 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 scribbles to push his hands on like when you're a little kid and you're opening the secret door and you're like just fucking touching markings and twisting around she, she, he collected all the keys to uh, in raccoon city to his police department or whatever and already not he's, even, he's played the, the before not even it's it, there, there aren't moving pieces here he's just touching markings on the wall and like making noises and stuff like captain what are you doing and then the door opens up and there is a uh incense burner in there so they get the 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 kirishara and they're very happy about this and they attempt their escape and uh of course this is when the bombardment begins uh but uh to paul to pal and archer escape everything seems to be fine albeit with i think to paul having like a leg injury or something yeah and unfortunately though to had stayed behind because she was worried about her daughter and they find her buried and critically wounded in the rubble and that is when we have a tearful farewell for to as, as she conveys that she joined the Serenites to try and find help for T'Pol because apparently T'Pol had always had problems containing her emotions and she was trying to find a way to solve that. Again, I think that that would have been massively helped by making it something that Teles shared with T'Pol, that they both had that problem. Um, and, and that was ultimate- before she started smoking space crack. Yeah, yeah, now God, right? Like all those space rocks you smoked, man. The mother's and, mishandled the whole way through. Like, give her that thing where the 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 doorway is collapsing, and the mom reappears and like sacrifices herself by holding the door open, and then she gets pinned down. And you know, like, yeah, there was nothing redemptive about her death. It was just sad, which, eh, missed opportunity. Yeah, I, not that she needed redemption. She just needed she to does, do though, something because she had a like. You know, the, there's even the scene in there when she's like. Uh, you know, I know you went into that shitty marriage just for me, and it probably would have been cool if I would have told you that, like, I was realistically being persecuted because I'm a cultist. Like, her mom's pretty shitty, and we're talking about early 2000s, 90s TV. Like, these are heroes. Give them those fucking heroic arcs. Have the mom redeem herself by sacrifice. If If that was her dad. Well, I don't know. I would say if that was her dad, her dad would have been like holding the rubble open, sacrificing himself. But when we jump to the fucking Hansons, seven and nines, dad, Ugh, he never redeems himself by clobbering the Borg queen over the head to give her a chance to escape like he should have. How did the Sirenites on the surface know that Enterprise was fighting with Vulcan ships in orbit? Do, are Vulcan eyes just really good and they can see out of outer space? Yeah, they don't. They don't exactly explain that, do they? They just know it. I guess they're like there. Oh, how do you know? Do you have a way to talk? Because if you could talk to my ship, they could have told me that they've got evidence that you guys didn't do. We could have like cut 40 minutes off this whole thing. You did a guy with a telescope in the background, right? Like that's all. They also weren't really clear uh, that the shuttle had returned because by the time Enterprise zips off, my impression was that the shuttle was not recovered and that eventually Archer was probably going to meet up with uh, Reed um mayweather and the shuttle they said and that's they had how to it, abort so i mean kind of said they just it. didn't do the special effects to show up flying back into the bay uh to paul full-on crying as her mom dies again a, a single tear but still there eh, trillium d is clearly still having that long-term impact on her uh they fly off 
uh, back on Enterprise. Uh, Suval really lays the full implication out of what's happening, that the Sirenites need to go because they represent a threat to high command uh, in pacifism. And pacifism is not going to be in vogue because high command wants to go to war with Andoria. Uh, that Velas has gotten the entire console on board with launching a preemptive strike because there's a belief that they are using Zindi weapons that will be turned against Vulcan that will imperil both of those planets as well as most likely dragging Earth into that conflict as well. So uh, you thought the stakes were high before. Uh, we just took it up to 11. First last order trip gives is go to Andoria. We have time to raise the stakes and bring in Jeffrey Combs. Yes. In case of emergency break class, get the comb out. Yeah. I mean, no emergencies here. This was still very good. I would say like, this is probably the worst episode we've watched in a few weeks, but no, not bad. You know, like this is great. I got to update my list. Very good. I'm there for it. I mean, yeah, this is the first one. I think I could really feel like there were flaws. Like, and, the entire uh, uh, Augments trilogy, I really don't feel like they did anything single misstep in any of that. Except for, except for like Persis is like not staying on the ship was a little thin. It's like that is how nitpicky I would have to go to find flaws here. Here, Teles wasn't super well handled. There was just some missing elements. Things they didn't quite put together for you that I feel like needed to be. But still... This is great, right? Like so much good Vulcan content about like a key Trek race that you just never got to see. Right. And now they're really make, bringing it to life and it really works. Uh, we got more though, because we're going to we be do. going into season four, episode nine, Kishara. Uh, that's going to be written by Mike Sussman. Oh, hey, Dave Livingston. We haven't heard from him in a while. To Paul and Archer endeavor to expose an ancient Vulcan artifact Vulcan society while Enterprise becomes in a involved in a standoff between the Vulcans and the Andorian fleets. I feel like David Livingston did the first episode in the Augment, so he's been around recently. That's like uh, eight episodes ago for us. Man. For us, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna continue. We're gonna finish off this trilogy of episodes, and we're gonna we're gonna. I think we have uh, at least one off, maybe two one offs in a row after this. And then we go into another trilogy and then the Klingon duology. Like, we're cranking, man. We're cranking. Content's good. We're going to keep rolling. So thanks for listening to Vija, please. We'll see you next week.